Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Made by Podster. In 2007, Simon, his girlfriend Chantel, and their six-year-old daughter Leela sold their dogs, raised a lot of money, and said goodbye to their family with three words written on a piece of paper. Gone to Brazil. In today's episode, we are on the trail of an interesting case from Australia about a mysterious internet cult whose spiritual head suddenly disappears with his family. A mystery that remains unsolved to this day. Before I get started, I should warn you that there are sequences in this episode that deal with suicide. If you have thoughts about suicide, tell someone about it, even if it's difficult. There is help out there, even for you. Chantel McDougall was born in Melbourne, Australia, on the 5th of June 1980. Her family consisted of a sister, a brother, both older than her, and her parents, Catherine and Jim. Not much is known about Chantel's childhood, but apparently she lived an ordinary life with her family and got along well with both her parents and siblings. Chantel was an average student at school, but according to her parents, her education was hampered by the fact that she had various reading difficulties. Her parents suspected that she was dyslexic, although this was never investigated and confirmed. Chantel had always been interested in the arts, particularly acting, and had joined the school drama club, dreaming of becoming an actor after secondary school. Apparently Chantel moved away from home to study, but after a short period returned home and got a job as a lifeguard and swimming instructor. Her parents sometimes worried that Chantel wouldn't find her place in the world and would never be excited about studying but they tried to understand and accept that Chantel wanted to take the time to figure out what she was interested in and what she might want to study and, yes, spend her life on. In 1997, when Chantel was 17 years old, she had a budding interest in spirituality and began to meditate regularly. She talked to her parents about the benefits of meditation and eagerly tried to get them to take part in her hobby, 
but they were sceptical. Around the turn of 1997-1998, Chantelle and her then-boyfriend travelled to Melbourne to attend a seminar on spirituality, where Chantelle met a man named Simon Cadwell, who captivated her deeply. Simon introduced himself as the spiritual leader of a New Age religious group called the Truth Fellowship. The Truth Fellowship, however, was an internet cult that Simon headed. It was based on the teaching of his book, Servers of the Divine Plan, in which he instructs how members of the Truth Fellowship should act if they wish to continue serving God after humanity has reached a critical turning point in its evolutionary journey, as he puts it in Servers of the Divine Plan, when a new world order will emerge. Simon described how some people are chosen as servants of God. The mission of these servants is to travel the world, spreading the message of the Truth Fellowship and how we are on the threshold of the New World Order. Simon's then 50 followers followed him mainly online, and a large proportion of these followers came from outside Australia. Chantelle, who had perhaps felt a little directionless and uncertain about her own future, was immediately interested in following Simon and learning from him. Simon had also noticed Chantelle, And at the spiritual seminar, the two had had a lot of discussions about their faith, which led to Simon presenting the thoughts and ideas behind the Truth Fellowship to Chantel. At their first meeting, Simon had told Chantel that he had noticed something special about her, namely that she was not of this world. Chantel was flattered, and when Simon asked her if she would join his circle of servants of God, Chantel enthusiastically agreed. Simon told her that he had a wife named Deborah and that they had a little boy together, for whom he and Deborah had been in search of a nanny for some time. Simon suggested that Chantel move in with them and work as a nanny. The arrangement suited Chantel very well, but unfortunately I have not been able to find any information about how, for example, Chantel's parents felt about it. It may be that Chantelle, at least at first, did not tell them what Simon was like or what he did for a living, but simply said that she had got a job as a nanny. While working as a nanny, Chantelle toured Australia with Simon's wife Deborah to promote the Truth Fellowship. In early 1999, Chantelle and Deborah travelled together to Perth to attend a spiritual event for women, carrying several copies of Simon's book. Their aim in attending the event was to get new members to join the cult, and by handing out the books, they were trying to spread the word about Simon. Most people found the book and its messages a little spacey, but occasionally someone found interest in Simon through the books and expressed a desire to become a member of the cult. In 1999, Simon and Deborah divorced, and Simon moved to England, where he was from. Chantelle, Deborah, and Simon and Deborah's son continued to live together in Australia. The reasons for the separation have not been disclosed further, but in later statements to police, Deborah described Simon as an unreliable narcissist, so their relationship probably suffered as a result. After Simon's departure, Chantelle was unsure whether she still wanted to be involved in the Truth Fellowship. But she and Simon exchanged regular emails and he eventually convinced her to remain involved in all the group's activities. That same year, Chantelle travelled to England to meet Simon and persuaded him to return to Australia. Chantelle even helped Simon get a visa, and he moved in with Chantelle and some of his followers in a house in Perth. 
It seems that Simon's ex-wife and their son also lived with them for a while, but towards the end of 2000, Deborah and the son moved to England. In addition to their spiritual connection, Chantelle had also developed romantic feelings for Simon. So it wasn't long after Deborah moved out that they became lovers. Sources have referred to this in slightly different ways. A few sources suggest that Chantelle and Simon had started an intimate relationship while Simon and Deborah were still married, in which case their divorce may also have had something to do with this. Between Chantelle and Simon, there was almost a 20-year age difference, and this was not something that Chantelle's parents were thrilled about. They thought Chantelle should be with someone closer to her own age. Quite soon after Chantelle and Simon told Jim and Catherine about their relationship, Chantelle also told them she was pregnant. The news came as a shock, especially as Chantelle had always said she never wanted children. When Catherine and Chantelle's friends inquired as to why she had suddenly changed her mind, Chantelle told them that she had begun to have a recurring vision in which she saw a girl named Leela praying to be born into the world in front of her. And Chantelle then felt that it was her destiny to have a daughter and name her Leela. Leela was born on the 6th of September 2001. As Chantelle and Simon were not married, Simon was never officially listed as Leela's father, nor did he acknowledge his paternity, which is a bit odd. However, I have to say that I'm not sure how these things work in Australia. But I have managed to find that no one is listed as Leela's father in any of her records, with either the social services or the health authorities. Catherine has said that the first time she met Simon was when Leela was born. According to her, Simon made a good first impression. He greeted her with a hug, but then asked a question that had her on the edge of her seat. Simon had practically just walked in the door when he asked what planet she was from. Chantelle, who had been watching the exchange on the sidelines, explained to her mother that some of Simon's views were a bit radical, but that you had to learn to live with that because he wanted to change the world. According to Catherine, Simon always treated Chantelle and Leela well, and he was not physically or mentally abusive to either of them in any way. However, both Jim and Catherine thought Simon was strange and noted, for example, that when they visited their daughter, he withdrew to be alone. Chantelle explained to her parents that Simon was very busy talking to and taking care of his followers and had to spend much of the day in front of the computer talking to them around the world. According to Catherine, the joy of Leela's birth was overshadowed for a time by Chantelle's postpartum depression. Catherine and Jim helped Chantelle and sought help and treatment at a health centre. Chantelle and Simon were also unsure during this time about the future of the Truth Fellowship and where they wanted to live. When Leela was two years old, they moved to a town called Denmark, but they didn't stay there long. Chantelle explained to those closest to her that Simon thought there were too many evil spirits in the town and that they couldn't settle there permanently. Eventually, the family ended up in a town called Nanup, less than 300 kilometres from Perth. With a population of just under 600, 
Nanup was a truly small town. Chantel and Simon rented a remote house in the middle of nowhere, about 11 kilometers from Nanup's center. The house was surrounded by fields, and there were opportunities to raise animals on the land. Chantel had to raise money for the family, and she also had a primary responsibility for Leela. Chantel therefore took a variety of jobs, including selling cosmetics from home, and then she worked as a swimming instructor and as a server in the local hotel restaurant. Sometimes, Chantel also worked as a support teacher at a school. Chantel was extremely well-liked in Nanup, where she and Leela participated in various extracurricular activities and went regularly to swimming and gymnastics. People living in Nanup who knew Chantel and Leela said that Leela was a normal, happy and energetic child with lots of friends, even though she did not go to nursery or school with the other children. Simon did not like other adults being with Leela without Chantel or himself present. Apparently Simon was afraid that others would try to brainwash their daughter. Leela was therefore homeschooled. However, Simon's role in his daughter's life was apparently quite small, and by all accounts, it seems that Chantel was pretty much the only one raising and taking care of her daughter, while Simon sat alone in his room at his computer chatting with his followers. According to Jim, Catherine and Chantel's friends, Chantel didn't mind being more or less solely responsible for Leela. She loved being a mother, wanted only the best for her daughter and to be as present in her life as possible. Chantel can't have had it easy, I think, considering she suffered from depression, had to take several jobs to support her family and even had to look after her child all by herself. Although Chantelle and Simon lived together and told everyone they were lovers, according to Chantelle's family and friends, the relationship was more spiritual than romantic. The couple never did anything together, and outsiders never witnessed any particular signs of affection between Chantelle and Simon. Catherine later said that despite Simon's eccentricities and unusual religious views, she was never particularly concerned about Chantelle or Leela. Chantelle had her finances in order, took good care of Leela and had many friends and acquaintances with whom to spend her free time. Some of Chantelle's closest friends later said that they could clearly feel that the religious and spiritual ideas Chantelle put forward clearly came from Simon, and that Chantelle took everything Simon told her to heart. A few of her close friends even described Chantelle as brainwashed. Chantelle's family and friends knew that for some reason, Simon did not want Chantelle to have contact with her parents and siblings. However, Chantelle kept her cool and visited her parents regularly, calling them weekly and sometimes her parents even visited Chantelle, Leela and Simon in Nanup. The woman the family rented the house from said Chantelle was always happy and sympathetic and noted that Chantelle seemed to do all the work at home while Simon either slept or sat at the computer. According to the landlady, the rent was always paid on time and the house was always in good condition so she had no reason to think or say anything bad about the family, even though she knew Simon believed in strange things, as she says. In that sense, I can understand why nobody raised the alarm. Even though some people knew about the family's somewhat alternative values and beliefs, no one really cared because outwardly they looked like a normal family, with their finances and home in order. And Chantelle and Leela actively participating in the community 
having friends and seeming happy. In 2006, one of Simon's supporters, a man named Tony Popick, moved in with the family. Tony had his own motorhome, which he drove into the driveway of Chantel and Simon's house, and here he stayed. Tony had discovered he was spiritual in 1996 after attending a New Age seminar called Turning Point, where he had a religious aha moment that led to the end of Tony's long-standing relationship with his then-girlfriend. It is unclear when Tony first met Chantel and Simon. One possibility is that Tony had met Chantel in either 1998 or 1999 at a religious conference. In 2002, he stayed with Chantel and Simon for a period or rather slept in a tent in their garden. It seems that Tony went in and out of Chantel and Simon's life a little. One minute he was with them, and then he suddenly disappeared, and then he got in touch with them again a few years later. Tony is described by family and friends as a kind, sensitive person who got on well with everyone. Tony had been bullied at school and university and often felt like an outsider. This could possibly be one of the reasons why he was looking for a community and eventually joined Simon's cult. As an adult, Tony had a number of odd jobs in various industries, including as a cleaner, cook, waiter, car mechanic and salesman. He was a hard-working, well-liked and reliable employee. Chantel's relationship with Tony developed into something special, and she told many of her friends and family that Tony was her best friend and the only one who really understood her. Tony also got along brilliantly with Leela and used to hang out with Chantel and Leela in town. According to Chantel's friends and Catherine, it seemed that Chantel had a much deeper and more personal relationship with Tony than with Simon, even though the relationship between Tony and Chantel was platonic. Tony's brother later said that he suspected Tony was depressed from time to time, and he believed that Tony had sometimes self-medicated with alcohol. He did not usually drink or use drugs, but would sometimes get really drunk and then be completely sober again for months. According to Tony's acquaintances, his spiritual thoughts were sometimes difficult to understand, and friends and family disliked the way Simon could control Tony. So Simon, Chantel, Leela and Tony lived together in the remote house, following Simon's teachings and views. The group attracted little attention from anyone and no one suspected anything. But later, Chantel's parents said they saw some warning signs that perhaps they should have taken more seriously. In mid-June 2007, Catherine visited her daughter and spent time with her granddaughter Leela. One day, while the family was gathered around the dinner table, the postman knocked on the door and delivered a package. When Chantel opened the parcel, there was a passport for Leela inside. Catherine had asked if Chantel and Leela were going away, and Simon had snatched the passport and walked upstairs with it without a word. Chantel had been silent, but finally said that they had considered leaving because they were worried about some new power lines being pulled on their property. Simon had told Chantel that the power lines could disrupt their energies and could even be potentially dangerous. However, Chantel did not say where they would go or when they would leave. A few days after Catherine returned home, 
Chantelle called her and told her full of excitement that she, Simon, Lila and Tony were moving to Brazil to do charity work. Catherine was worried because Brazil was so far away from Australia and Chantelle's plans seemed so uncertain. They had nowhere to stay and Chantelle couldn't say how long they would be in Brazil. Her mother tried to stop Chantelle, but she also knew that as an adult, Chantelle would have to make her own decisions. She could not decide for her, even though after her last visit with her daughter, she had found Simon's behaviour strange. On the phone, she asked Chantelle to contact them as soon as they were settled in Brazil. Chantelle promised, and at the end of the phone call, Catherine urged her to take care of herself. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Several weeks later, Jim and Catherine were growing impatient for a sign of life from their daughter. None of Chantel's friends had heard from her since they had left. When a month had passed since the family's departure for Brazil, Jim and Catherine sent an email to the Australian embassy in Brazil explaining that their daughter and granddaughter had travelled to Brazil from Australia a month earlier, but had not heard from them since leaving. The embassy replied that Brazil is a big country, and it would be difficult to find them without an address or phone number. With a little help from the embassy, Catherine and Jim then reported them missing. A few days after the report, immigration police called the parents and told them that airport surveillance cameras showed that Chantelle, Leela, Simon and Tony never arrived at the airport on the day Chantelle told them they were going to Brazil. The parents were astonished and worried because Chantelle was usually in touch with them every week and now over a month had passed and Chantelle had not called them once. If she was in Australia, she would have called for sure. A few weeks later, the police came to see Catherine and Jim at their address. They had a note with them saying, gone to Brazil. When asked if the handwriting was Chantelle's, the parents confirmed it, 
but added that it seemed Chantelle had written the note in a hurry because the handwriting was messier than usual. Police said that the note had been found in Chantelle and Simon's home, and next to the note was her purse, containing some cash and all her cards. According to police, the house looked neat and clean. Valuable electronics had been left in the house, but all personal belongings were gone. It seems striking that Simon was concerned about the new power lines, but had a home full of electronics. A computer, a TV, a DVD player, an Xbox and a PlayStation, all of which belonged to him. Police also found a handwritten letter from Chantelle to the owner of the property, telling her that they had left for Brazil and therefore couldn't take their furniture with them. Chantelle regretted that they had left at such short notice and also mentioned that one of the reasons they left was that they could no longer sleep in the house due to new power lines. In the message, Chantelle wrote that the owners should finally keep or sell the belongings they had left behind. A similar note was found in Tony's caravan, which was still parked in the yard by the house. Chantelle was last spotted in the town of Busselton, about 60 kilometres from Nanup. Chantelle, along with Simon, Tony and Leela, had been at a local car dealership where she had sold her car for 4,000 Australian dollars. The money had been put into her bank account but had not been touched since that day. On the same day in Busselton, Chantelle had sold her dog and its three puppies for just under 1,000 Australian dollars. Jim and Catherine say the dogs were very important to her and she would not have sold them unless it was absolutely necessary. The buyer had subsequently said that Leela had been playing with the puppies and seemed upset that they were being sold. Both the car dealer and the buyer of the dogs said that Chantelle had told them that she would soon be moving to Brazil with her family and that she therefore wanted to sell her dogs. Catherine and Jim were astonished, as all the evidence suggested that the group were actually planning to go to Brazil but passport details and passenger lists for flights bound for Brazil showed that none of them had actually left. When it became clear that something had happened and that Chantelle and the rest of the group's travel plans had not gone as planned, an international wanted list was issued and the Australian police continued to investigate. The police were particularly interested in talking to anyone who had been in contact with Chantelle, Simon or Tony shortly before their departure for Brazil and were investigating whether the reason for the move could really be the new wiring. In what follows, I'll briefly tell you what their investigations revealed. In April 2007, a few months before their disappearance, the family's landlord had visited them and told them that a new transformer would be installed less than 100 metres from the house. A few days later, when an electrician who lived in the area came to dig a trench for the new power lines near their home, Simon had approached the electrician. Simon had asked the man to leave, as he was convinced that the new power lines were likely to make him and his family ill. Simon had also mentioned that he and his family would probably go to Brazil, because they described it as a developing country that did not use electricity in the same way as Australia. The electrician had refused to go away and had tried to explain to Simon that the new power grid would not make anyone sick. 
the electrician came back three times, and each time Simon had come to complain to him about the transformer and how it was making him and his family ill. According to the electrician, Simon's behaviour became more and more aggressive, and he therefore began to fear him. He didn't want to come to work on the property where Simon and his family lived. In early May, the electrician went out to the property again to finish his work. He had feared what might happen next, but he was surprised that Simon did not come out to threaten him. According to the electrician, Simon and Tony had been sitting on the terrace of the house, drinking beer and talking to him, asking how he was. This had led the electrician to believe that the group was moving out, and that Simon therefore no longer bothered to get involved with the new power lines and transformer. The more the police investigated Chantel and Simon, the more unusual the whole case became. Among other things, it seemed that the new power lines were certainly not the only reason for the couple's desire to move. When the police in Nanup reviewed their own records, they discovered that Chantel and Simon had been in contact with the police on two occasions. First, in May 2004, and then again in June 2004. Both times, they had called the police because of Chantel's ex-boyfriend. I mentioned at the beginning that before Chantel met Simon, she had had a boyfriend with whom she attended spiritual events. This boyfriend's name was also Simon, so to avoid confusion, I will simply refer to him here as the ex-boyfriend. The ex-boyfriend had suddenly appeared in Chantel and Simon's garden and had refused to leave, even though both Chantel and Simon had asked him to. Eventually, the police arrived and took the ex-boyfriend away. Not a month had passed before he returned to the house. Chantel called the police again, and the ex-boyfriend, who seemed to be upset and behaving oddly, had been taken first to the police station and then to a psychiatric hospital. On the way to the hospital, the man tried to tell the police that Simon was really a man called Gary Felton and that he was a cult leader. The police ignored and quickly dismissed his nonsense. One of the officers checked Simon's details on the computer and found that he had come to Australia from England, but otherwise there was nothing unusual in his information. As Nanup was a very small town, everyone knew everyone else, and the few policemen who were in town knew everyone there, so they kept a little extra watch on Simon for the next few years, knowing that he also had the status of a kind of spiritual leader. Nothing about Simon's behaviour worried the police, though until May 2000, when they pulled him over for speeding. On that occasion, the police asked Simon if he had really moved to Australia from England, and they wanted to know what he'd been doing in England. According to the police, Simon had become very nervous when they mentioned England, and he had clearly not wanted to talk about it. After that, Simon's demeanour had changed. He had become nice and pleasant, almost to an exaggerated degree, and had been incredibly cooperative and apologetic about the speeding. After the police began investigating the family's disappearance a few months later, they began to look into Simon's background and his activities in England. It turned out that Simon was not who he claimed to be. Simon was born in England in 1962, and his real name is actually Gary Felton, though I'll keep calling him Simon to avoid too much confusion. 
Very little is known about Simon's childhood and youth. He lost his mother as an adult, and he subsequently had very little contact with his father and brother. Simon lived in England for many years and worked in a software company before founding the Truth Fellowship cult. While working at the software company, Simon misappropriated a family member's personal information and was convicted of fraud. Shortly after, Simon stole the identity of a colleague, Simon Cadwell, and was again convicted of fraud. He managed to literally steal his birth certificate and use it to acquire a fake passport. Perhaps Simon wanted to get a new identity, as it can be difficult to travel abroad with a tainted criminal record, and it is certainly not easy to get a visa to live and work in Australia if you have committed a crime. When Simon founded the Truth Fellowship cult, he marketed it online and by travelling and preaching around the world. No one knows what drove Simon to set up the cult. Perhaps it was for financial reasons. Perhaps it was because Simon thought he was gaining money and fame as a famous religious leader. When Simon met his future wife Deborah in India in 1993, the couple travelled constantly for the next four years without Simon having a job. No one knows exactly how Simon financed all this. He later received some money from the sale of his books, published between 1996 and 2000, but otherwise it remains unknown. Simon and Deborah settled in Australia in 1997, the same year their son was born. Not long afterwards, Simon met Chantel, and so we're back to the beginning of this episode and what followed in the wake of their meeting. When Chantel's parents found out that Simon was in fact a fraud named Gary, they were immediately convinced that Chantel didn't know about his past either, but had fallen victim to his manipulation. But in reality, no one knows how much Simon had told Chantel about his past. Chantel and Simon's landlord and some of Chantel's friends have said that they knew that Simon sometimes had friends over, whom Chantel and Simon referred to as clients. Chantel always left the house with Leela when clients came, and some of Chantel's friends had wondered why she was not allowed to be home when there were visitors. Leela had also mentioned it on a few occasions. Once, when the landlord had bumped into Leela and Chantel in the playground, Leela had said that she couldn't go home because there were clients visiting. Police have subsequently tried to find out who these clients were and what kind of business they were doing with Chantel and Simon. Catherine has told police that the last time she visited her daughter, there were strange visitors in the house too, but she hadn't been able to find out from Chantel who they were and what they were doing there. Catherine suspected that these people knew something about the disappearance of her daughter and granddaughter. Just a few days after Chantel had sold the puppies, the woman who had bought the dogs received a strange call from Chantel's home phone. On the other end of the phone was a seemingly angry woman, interrogating the woman who had bought the dogs about how she knew Chantel and what their relationship was. The woman who bought the dogs didn't understand the purpose of all the questions and quickly hung up. While Chantel, Simon, Tony and Leela were seen in Bustleton, there was also someone trying to use their home phone to buy a train ticket for themselves. But in the end, the ticket was not sold over the phone, but picked up at a ticket office. And when police officers went to question the ticket seller, he could no longer remember what the person who had bought the tickets looked like. 
However, he still had the receipt for the purchase, and it showed that the buyer had been someone who had given his name as Jay Robbins. The buyer had also given a phone number, but it was Chantelle and Simon's home phone. This train ticket was never used, but on the 15th of July, a few days after Chantelle and the rest of the group were last seen, someone bought a train ticket for Jay Roberts. The train ticket was used for a journey from Nanup to Perth, but no one knows who this passenger was. Jay Roberts, whoever he is, has since been travelling around Australia, both by train and bus. Police have had several theories about Chantelle and her family's disappearance, but so far no theory has been more prominent than the others. Police have no evidence that the family is dead and no evidence that they are alive. If they have left the country, they have done so under false identities. But the investigation has shown nothing to suggest that Simon or Chantelle had tried to buy false passports. The passport that Leela was issued with a few weeks before she disappeared was issued with her real identity. A sad but unfortunately possible theory is that the family died in some kind of mass suicide. A few months before the disappearance, Simon had written in an email to one of his followers that he, Chantelle and Tony had been contemplating suicide for a while and wanted to kill Leela in the process. According to Simon, he, Leela and Chantelle were supposed to take a lethal dose of drugs and Tony's job was to bury the bodies so they wouldn't be found. After the burial, Tony was to find a secluded spot in the woods, take a lethal dose of drugs himself and find a place to die in the woods where he would never be found. Simon had wanted to do it sooner, he said, but Chantelle had deliberately delayed. The person he briefed on his plans had pointed out that if Simon gave Leela a lethal dose of the drug, Simon would be found guilty of murder, after which Simon had not mentioned the plan again. Over the next few weeks, Simon stopped talking about killing his family, but he wrote to his followers that he was depressed and wanted to die and also threatened to kill himself. Simon had written that Leela and Chantelle were asleep and that he would do it before they woke up. When police investigated the suicide theory, they discovered that at least three of Simon's followers had committed suicide. One before Simon and the group disappeared, and two after. All three suicides were committed by people who had visited Simon and actively chatted with him online. One of the suicide victims had donated a lot of money to Simon over the years, a total of $6,000. There was no mention of being depressed in their suicide notes. Instead, the suicide notes spoke of belonging in another world and wanting to move to a higher power. According to Simon's teachings, suicide was the only way to save one's soul so it is very likely that the three suicides were inspired by it. As mentioned, police have found no evidence that Chantelle and the rest of the group were killed, but it is a fact that Simon had talked about committing suicide both alone and with his family. There are some unanswered questions about Tony, because Tony's identity has also been used since he disappeared in Australia. Police have learned that Tony's name has been used to book train tickets and hotel rooms, among other things, shortly after the last sightings of Chantelle and Leela. A pizza delivery man later told police that he had brought a pizza to a hotel for a man who introduced himself as Tony 
and police know for a fact that someone had booked a room at the same hotel under Tony's name. During the delivery, the pizza delivery man had got a strange feeling that Tony was moving on and wanted to leave as quickly as possible. Like Chantel, Tony had made preparations before he disappeared. For example, he had handed control of his assets to his brother and sold a large part of his estate. Like Chantel, Tony had been in regular contact with his family and had talked to them about possibly moving to Brazil. Tony's parents had been concerned about this and had tried to persuade Tony's brother to talk some sense into him. But Tony had stood firm and said he would go with Simon to Brazil. According to Tony's family, he had not seemed suicidal or depressed before his disappearance, and he had said nothing about harming himself. Although Tony's identity has been used since his disappearance, police do not know who has used the identity. Is it the real Tony? Is it perhaps Simon, or is it a complete stranger who was somehow involved in the family's disappearance? Over the years, police have received tips from all over the world from people who believe they have seen Chantel and Leela, but they've been unable to confirm them. In 2016, many thought Leela had been found when a confused young woman who spoke English and couldn't give her name or say where she was from was found on the streets of Rome. Some even suspected she was Madeleine McCann, but she eventually turned out to be Embla Jauhjarvi from Sweden who had disappeared after taking a language course in Italy and apparently suffered from some form of mental illness. There are also vague sightings of Chantelle, Tony, Leela and Simon around Australia, but police do not believe any of these sightings are reliable. Chantelle, Leela, Tony and Simon have now been missing for almost 15 years, and Chantelle's parents have taken it particularly hard. They blamed themselves for not realising how unstable the person was that Chantelle and Leela were living with. The parents don't believe Chantelle and Leela are still alive. The most popular theory seems to be that Simon somehow managed to pressure or lure Chantelle and Tony into committing suicide. Simon may have killed Leela himself and then committed suicide, or he may have managed to escape, for example, by using a new identity, Tony's, for example. Police believe it is possible that Simon is still alive. They have said that if anyone in the group is still alive, it is probably Simon. From everything that Chantelle and Tony said to their family members, it seems that they really thought they were going to Brazil. If they'd planned to commit suicide, it was hardly an event that had been planned far in the future. It could be that Simon planted the idea of Brazil in their heads, but before they left, he persuaded them to commit suicide. Or Simon killed them. There are some strange details in this case. For example, I wondered who the person was who had used the landline on Chantelle and Simon's home after they had disappeared. Or who was the Jay Robbins who had ordered the train ticket and listed the Chantelle family home phone as his home phone number. This case is fascinating because I think for once, it seems realistic that they could actually be alive. It is possible that they have been brainwashed even further and are living in a place where they had been completely out of touch with society all these years. Chantelle and Tony's parents, however, are quite sure that neither of them could have voluntarily disappeared for so long without contacting their loved ones. 
that's all I have to say this time. Thanks, and I hope you enjoyed listening. Next time, we'll be on the trail of another exciting case. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.